Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom, my dear friend Jim. How are you? Shalom, Rabbi. I'm doing very good, Baruch Hashem. I hope that uh, you and, and, in fact, all of our listeners are, are doing okay in spite of uh, a world gone wacko. A world gone wacko, yeah, but the thing is, in this week's Torah portion, we have we have presented to us uh, a plan for a world basically founded on, at least on the desire towards a just society, which is like the opposite. It's like, it's like the very opposite of the world that we live in today. Yeah. And you know, Rabbi, these are, this is so interesting because these are, as you pointed out, uh, we we go from, from the sublime world shaking giving of the Torah in the, in the previous two uh, partiot. And now we're, it's, you can't get past the idea that when you're reading this Parsha, that this is the down-to-earth, everyday functioning of a society. And people would look at this and go, you know, where where is the, and I'm quote, doing air quotes, where is the holiness? Where is this? Right. You know, it, right. It seems this like is... a, but yet it's, it is very holy, isn't it? It's, a, it's such a beautiful transition, it's, and it's such a beautiful um, presentation of what a true devotion to Hashem really translates to in this world, what, it, what, it, what the truly religious experience is and what our goals should be. And again, we live in society today where everything is so topsy-turvy. I mean, your whole, your whole uh, welcoming greeting to me uh, today <laughs> about the wacko world, the thing is that justice is is a subjective thing and if it's left up to a person everybody is going to define it differently sometimes in a in a very um you know manipulative way on purpose because it's it has to suit my agenda so that so you know there's a verse in ecclesiastes that in the place of justice um that's where you find wickedness so there is a perversion of justice, and there's also the problem of of of, of the human, uh, you know, um, of a person being too close to something and 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 not and not really seeing things clearly. So so l- let me back it up. Last week we we're in the Torah portion of Yitro. We're standing at Mount Sinai, and we and we experience this this um, almost surreal. Um, you know, uh, transcending experience, but it wasn't surreal. It was very real, but it was it was a a, um, a higher level of perception of the reality of Hashem standing at Mount Sinai and all those incredible, incredible um, aspects of what that was like. Uh, what it translated into to to really have this tremendous, clear understanding, vision, knowledge, as we emphasized last week, that it's that it's this is only Hashem in the world. So they're standing there, the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, and and receiving the Torah. And actually, the transition begins <clears throat> of of um, bringing it all into this world begins at the end of the Torah portion. I know we didn't mention this last week, but it's really one of my favorite ideas. At the end of Parshat Yitro, in last week's Torah portion, after the Ten Commandments and after the smoke clears, as it were, uh, figuratively, uh, literally, um, 
So the last thing that we that we have in the Torah portion of last week, Parshat Yitro, is that Hashem says to Moshe, say, say this to the children of Israel, you saw that I spoke to you from heaven. So don't make any gods of silver or, go, or gods of gold. And when you make an altar, make it out of the earth. Make it out of earth and, and you bring me your offerings on that um, and wherever you mention my name, I will come and bless you. And if you and if it's an altar of stones, then don't 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 make it with metal. So it's all about the idea of um, the service of bringing an offering to Hashem, which of course is its own world and the whole book of Vayikra. And we'll be speaking about that a great deal, I'm sure, in that in the Torah reading cycle and, and the whole idea of what it means to bring an offering to Hashem. But what is going on here at the end of last week's Torah portion is so uh, is so amazing because again they're having this experience. It's it's ethereal. It is uh, almost otherworldly. They're they are transposed uh, onto another level of reality wherein everything is totally uh, torn asunder. Torn asunder all the veils because they see that there's only Hashem in the world. And then at the end of the parsha. Hashem gives this unbelievable um, instruction. When you want to worship me in this world, this is what I want. I want a, I want a simple altar of of stones or of earth. And I, I think that what what the uh, what what we're what we're being told here is is moving and powerful and simple. I think Hashem is basically saying, okay the natural human feeling now after ha having been through this incredibly, you know, um, how do I describe it? This experience. Mind bending. Of, yes. Mind yes. Mind, mind, mind bending, mind blowing experience of, of, of the Sinai revelation. So it was like a, a portal opened into the, into the core of the universe of Hashem's existence itself. You would think how, how do I follow up on this? Like, now what? How do I serve such a God in this world? What could possibly do him proper homage? What could possibly show respect to Hashem who has no beginning and no end and no form? How can I possibly represent my strivings in this world to want to connect with him? I can't. I can't, I can't, I can't connect to God in this physical world. But this physical world is the one that he loves. It's the one that he brought the Torah into, the one that he that he created and the one in which he wants to be represented. And so therefore Hashem is saying, no, I don't need any sort of, um, you know, um, posturing. I don't need any sort of sound and light show. I don't need anything fancy. I don't need any smoke and mirrors. You know what I need? Earthiness. I need, this yeah. is, this is it. This is the world that I love. The, see this earth, see this earth here, these stones. This is how, this is, you make an altar on this and you bring me, you're offering on this, and this is how we connect. It's about this earth, and so that was the the this incredibly uh, beautiful summation, as it were, of the whole experience at Sinai. In other words, my, my my initial reaction, if I was there, I was there at Sinai, would be, I can't, I can't continue now. I can't follow up on this. I can't bring this into this world. Shem is saying, no. No, you very well can bring this into this world simply by being in this world. This is the world that I love. Right. And so now, Parshat Mishpatim, this week's Torah portion, opens up in chapter 21. And what we're doing is, we're still there at Mount Sinai. So, he, so he, this is what you started to say. 
ואלה המשפטים אשר תשים לפניהם. The first verse, chapter, verse one of chapter 21 says, and these are the ordinances that you, that you shall place before them. Hashem is speaking to Moshe. <clears throat> and there's a principle that the letter Vav, and, is a connector. So the sages talk about how this shows us that, the, that all of these ordinances were also said at Mount Sinai. Everything came from Mount Sinai. On a, on a, on a, um, <clears throat> a figurative le- level, but on the level of reality, what's going on here is that we're still standing at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moshe is actually on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, receiving the, the tradition from Hashem himself. I'm calling it the tr- tradition, but you know what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the oral accompaniment of how the commandments are to be applied. Moshe is receiving all of this from Hashem himself on Mount Sinai, and Hashem is now telling him, so here's how I want this people to live. In other words, I'm taking this people that are coming from this slave mentality of having served Pharaoh and not having had to, not not having had any responsibility to each other and not having any skill set whatsoever or any tools to know how to live as a, as a group as a, as a nation. And what, so what's going to govern over this nation is going to be my law translated into the everyday human situation that has to do with how people treat each other, with justice. Mm-hmm. And in other words, the, and again, the giveaway was that at the conclusion of Parsha Yitro, it was about serving Hashem in a very physical way, in this world, in a very physical way. Because if it wouldn't have been for that, and now I know we're still standing at Mount Sinai for a long time, receiving all the details of the commandments, but I would think that the very first thing that would be said now, as the Torah continues, would be something about man's relationship with God. For example, we have the hallmark of the Torah experience is Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel, Hashem, Hashem our God, Hashem is one. That appears in Deuteronomy chapter 6. How come it doesn't appear now? How come we don't have some sort of bold, all-encompassing statement of faith now, something about our relationship with Hashem? Instead, we ha- we, we start with, the, <laughs> with these laws that have to do, there are civil, oh, property, civil, civil laws, properties, um, yeah, damage, damages to your murder, unintentional, all sorts of things, um, and and so basically, what Hashem is saying, and again, that that vav that's connecting is that this is how you actually, and this is so, this is profound. This this thought, this is how you continue the Sinai experience. In other words, if you right. want to keep that the way it was, if you if you want to keep that alive, that incredible feeling that you have where you saw it all you saw you perceive the truth of reality you understand my presence in this world my presence is concealed but you under but i showed you i showed you and i'm giving you the torah now if you want to perpetuate the that high of the sun experience you know how you do it by living like the people that you can be yeah and it's so it's so amazing because uh, jim you know you and i talk about this all the time when we're not uh, on mic <laughs> we we live in a world where justice is uh, is trampled upon it's a travesty it's it's uh, a, a game it is it is kind of like owned by by people who cynically manipulate the word justice and the concept of justice to suit themselves 
And uh, it's the very opposite of everything that we're learning about here because because it's all sub subjective. Uh, justice is, is constantly being defined and redefined according to what people want it to be. And that's not Hashem's law. It's not Hashem's mm -hmm. law. And that's and because how is justice measured? So there's two two major themes are are popping out of of this right away. One theme is that the way that justice is measured is in, it's in Hashem's eyes, and it's 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 in the application of Hashem's principles. And two is that the the truly spiritual, as it were, or religious or holy experience is only measured by how we live in this world and how we treat each other it's it's easy for a person to be isolated to be to be a, a hermit you know or a monk and to meditate all day and to and to have some sort of out of body a transcendental experience but it, what is it what is that worth if you can't be a mensch right. if you can't if right. you can't if you don't know how to treat another person and you don't respect another person's property or body or anything about their 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 own self then there's nothing here you, then you have no relationship with hashem yeah well it, it's it's it goes it's so much in tandem with israel's response to the giving of the Torah, in that as as you can go back and read, in uh, they 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 said to God, "We will do, and we will hear," and it's all about what you know the the uh, the uh, the Chazal, the, the sages talk about. We're in the world of action. Everything comes down from heaven because it's supposed to be actualized in the world of action. And I think this is so amazing that after you know what, what you just described this this. Uh, amazing, moving, uh, ethereal uh, event where uh, senses were, uh, you know, out of place, and they were standing almost in, in uh, it was almost like the, the story of the four rabbis. They went into heaven, they went into, 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 para into to paradise, and yet God links this Parsha with the previous one by saying he literally brings it down to earth. Right. Like it's like they, they he brought them into uh it, it's like um Mr. Tambourine Man. You were you yeah. just said their senses were stripped, right? They were they were in a place where they were so totally, like I said, um brought into the core of existence right. and they perceived the true nature of of Hashem and therefore of their own lives and of the eternity of their souls and a reality. And then it's as if Hashem is saying, okay, you want the, now you really want this to last and you want to stay this way and you want to, you want to stay on this level. Here's how you do it. It's, it's just living in this world. Right. It, it, it brings, it, it's what the Chazal have always said is that is the Torah is, is not in heaven. It has been given to humanity, been given to the nation of Israel and and what what's so beautiful about uh, this this uh, linkage between this parsha and the previous parsha is it's uh, you could liken it to the day after the wedding, because you know the the giving of the Torah is is often um, uh, characterized as a wedding between between uh, this new nation and the Creator of of, of time and space, because the, because the day after the wedding. The uh, the bride and groom have to look at each other and go, well, what next? <laughs> that was fun. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> right now what? And it, you know, it reminds me of the. It reminds me of. Uh, this is a strange connection. It reminds me of that scene at the end of the Graduate, 
when when Benjamin has has gone through all of these this trouble and screaming and decided he wants to marry, um, uh, I can't remember the, the character's name. I remember Dustin Hoffman played Benjamin, but they they and he goes to the church and he gets her and he, they grab and they jump on a bus and the last scene is is her sitting on the bus in a in a bridal veil and him in a dirty jacket and they're just sitting there and they're thinking, all right, what next? Now that we know we love each other, what do we do now? And this is what Hashem is doing. He's saying, I love you. I've, I've shown you heaven. I've shown you creation. And now it's time to get on with the business of living because this is the reason I created the world, for you exactly. to live and, and employ these, these principles. And as you, as you mentioned, the, the, the incredibly powerful uh, response of Israel is actually recorded in this week's Torah portion. In last week's Torah portion, they said Naseh, but they said we will do. But here, when Moshe kind of um, um, seals this covenant with with the people, with the uh, with the, with the blood and the basins and um, the offerings, we find in chapter twenty four, he t- in verse seven, he took the book of of the covenant and read it. In the in earshot of the people, and they said, "Everything that Hashem has said, we will do, and we will obey." And this this line is is very important. This statement is is um, is is very expressive of this kind of uh, collective will of the people of Israel. In fact, the the sages speak a great deal about these words, and they say that this statement is this expression is actually used by the ministering angels and that Hashem himself was surprised that Israel rose to that level and responded, we will do and we will obey. And the, and the, this, and the Midrash comments that Hashem said, who told, who told them, who revealed to them the secret of these words that my angels use? And, and what it means, it, what it expresses is this level of faith in Hashem that supersedes human intellect and that sidesteps human arrogance because, you know, people generally don't want to do something that they don't understand. And they and they say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that until I understand it. And here, what they basically what they're saying was, we are committing ourselves to Hashem's will. And that's the idea of we will do. And it's translated by most Bibles as we will obey, but it really means we will listen. We will obey first, and we will listen. Really, What it really means is that we will, the first thing is we're going to do. We're going to do. We live in a world where we live in a world of action. The, the covenant that we have with Hashem is based on action. And afterwards, we're going to try to understand. And even if we don't, though, we will do. And then afterwards, we'll worry about understanding. But the main thing is we accept upon ourselves Hashem's will. And that takes yeah. uh, a certain well, kind of self-image that is, that is, that that is is the is the opposite of kind of like the the narcissistic society that we live in today. It's it's opposite of the Asavian hold on the world and the 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 society that I was raised in. The mindset, the worldview that I was raised in, said that you have to embrace your your feelings wholly. And in art and entertainment and song, tell us to follow our hearts. And our hearts are a wonderful part of us that God created. But where the Western world and mindset gets off the derrick, gets off the road, is that God says, "I'm. Sh- if you will have faith in me, this their response shows you why that that uh, 
the trust in Hashem is it uh, the the word is bitachon the the trust in in the Creator mm-hmm. that and, and they exhibited that by saying we will do it and and this is a a primary principle that I always try to pass on to people that that uh, once in a while somebody will actually ask me for advice. And I will say the best thing I can tell you is what is what the the Taurus ages tell us about your problem emotionally is is that the heart follows action. That's the way God made us, and uh, and this is what this this is part of the dynamic going on here is that Israel is saying to God, we understand that we understand that if we simply do what you have told us, that our hearts will incline, our hearts will form in that direction it's 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 the 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 torah has been given and by by carrying out the commandments and the directions from the torah we are inscribing the torah in our heart not the other way around don't wait till you feel like keeping the commands and the directions of hashem it's you know i I think i've told you the the uh um it's not really a joke it's a lesson of of the two brothers who were uh, they were observant Jews, and they were next door neighbors, and they were they they lived next to each other, and they they both knew they both being you know brothers they had the same problem they both knew that uh, they that they had to to give charity, and the uh, I don't remember which of the sages or the commentary that I read that suggested this it says one went to his rabbi and his rabbi said well. If you want to feel like giving charity, you've got to start doing it. And so his rabbi tells him, go out and find 10 people and give them $10. And the other rabbi of the other brother says, go out and and find 100 people and give them a dollar. And when they're finished, the question is asked, which one do you think feels more charitable? It actually becomes more charitable. The one that gave $10 to 10 people? Or the one that gave one dollar to a hundred people because it's the same amount of money, and what would the answer be? The answer would be that the man that gave a dollar to a hundred people will—he's done it a hundred times. It does—it's not the amount of money. It's—that's it, not even—that's immaterial. It's the fact that he went out and a hundred different occasions he practiced uh, charity. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, so you're it. saying that the action uh, taught his. His heart, as opposed to his heart teaching, teaching action. Exactly. Exactly. And he, in fact, the lesson in this and in, in Mishpatim, which is about judgments and about rulings and about every day, it says you can't, uh, you, you, you have to use the, you, you have to not pay attention to what your heart uh, is tugging you in the direction of. You have to first look at what the law says. The laws that come from a loving creator that I've given you that seem questionable. People look at, it's used in this Parsha. They look at uh, an eye for an eye and they go, that is really troublesome. God is not saying literally, if if you take out someone's eye, you need to gouge, gouge out your eye. And of course, the uh, Hazal point out that that would be impossible to it's, fulfill. It's, because It's so ignorant when people you know, have no idea of, of how to study Torah. And this is something that we emphasize in all of our classes, the in, inexorable bond between the written Torah and the oral Torah, which is not a figment of anyone's imagination and not man-made and not what people call disparagingly rabbinical Judaism. But as we read right here in our Parsha, 
of Mishpatim, uh, in the conclusion, in fact, the, the end verse in chapter 24 tells us Moses arrived in the midst of the cloud and ascended the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And yeah. the, the whole principle of the oral Torah is that this is what he was doing all of that time, that he was with Hashem, as it were, on the mountain. And this is this is a huge uh, body of wisdom that God gave over to Moshe and that has been literally um, um, transmitted from generation to generation, beginning with Moses to Joshua, to the elders, to the prophets, to our very, very generation today. And this is in Hashem's ultimate wisdom, the way that the Torah is kept alive and vibrant and applicable in every generation. And the basis of so much understanding, the basis of not only how the commandments are to be fulfilled under all circumstances and the and the living, evolving Torah of uh, the technological issues and all, of the, and all of the changes throughout the generations, but also the whole concept of how a, a student is encouraged to ask questions and how yes. the, the, the Torah has to be explored and understood. And, and there are so many details uh, that have been handed down orally. So for example, that what you just quoted about the eye for the eye is a, a, con- a concept of monetary compensation, like many other aspects of this, of this Torah portion. And, uh, I, and I love the, the pragmatism that the, that the sages uh, explain to us when they say it's impossible that that would mean an eye for an eye. Because first of all, what if two, uh, uh, what if two blind men attacked each other and, and uh, one of the blind men literally gouged out the eye of the other one, of the other blind man? What, what in the world good, why, how can a blind man give another blind man an eye that's, that's worthless? And the idea that, and, and there's another, even in this Parsha, when you, when a, uh, someone, uh, uh, is it a servant loses a tooth? He's set free. He, he, he doesn't, he doesn't ask for the tooth of whoever, you know, knocked out his tooth or, or the, the, you know, the, the falling ladder that hit him in the mouth and knocked out a tooth. He's set free. So it's not, it is, as you said, it is compensation. It is a pro-victim kind of uh, uh, dynamic. It doesn't, it, it, it takes care of the, of the, uh, it cares for the people who have been on the receiving end of, of a wrong. And there are principles that the, that the oral Torah teaches us uh, through which Torah is to be understood and interpreted in every generation. And a lot of the laws here in this Torah portion, we don't feel a connection with them. You know, life is not what it was. Um, and there are so many things here that we need to understand. And that's the whole idea here is that these are principles also that are applied to many different types of situations and and uh, we, we need a long time to really analyze so many of the of the fifty three commandments that are found in this Torah portion. But just to speak about the one with which the Torah portion opens, which seems so uh, also so odd, um, on the heels of the Sinai revelation and everything that we've been discussing, the Torah portion begins with the concept of the bondsman. Right and the, right. the servant, and th- this is a, a person who is basically um, sold into service for a, a limited period of time. The reason that he's sold into service is either because he has a debt to pay, or because he committed a crime, and this is a type of um, 
rehabilitation. Yeah, he, this is he committed a crime and he could not provide compensation. Exactly. Uh, so if this is a person who stole and is not able to pay back what he stole, then he serves for a number of years and then he goes free. Uh, this is basically in place of and representative of a whole concept of um, a penal system, which doesn't exist even in the Torah. There's no such right. thing. There's no such thing because this is all part of Hashem's compassion for not um, ostracizing a person, for not excluding a person, or 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 uh, and not marginalizing a person within society. Because the the bondsman that's being described here was called the Eved Ivri, the the Hebrew bondsman. The rights that this person has are so inalienable and and so uh, sacrosanct that if the master, for example, only has one one pillow, he can't use it. He has to give it to the servant. If yeah. the servant was used to a certain lifestyle, to a certain a certain uh, um, standard of living in terms of his diet, while he when he was before he he became uh, before he entered into servitude, the master has to keep that up. And so it's yeah. a, it's a whole what, a whole concept of of it's very experiential and it's and uh, it's just so amazing. And you and I have spoken about this the whole concept of of prison and how horrible it is in the Torah's it, it, eyes. It's, yeah, it, it's like a college for learning how to be a thief and a and a murderer, but but yet. Uh, the, you know, the, you're familiar with the saying from from the sages that that uh, in in relation to this statute is that to have a servant meant to be a servant. In, in that you you basically you were so enjoined by the Torah to to uh, when you when you took on that that servant that you had to treat them like one of the household. Right. They had they they were like family. So and for the master, the whole... it's an it's an exercise in becoming and being sensitive to another person, and for the servants, it's an it's an exercise in introspection, in contributing to society, in kind of expunging uh, like a his past. It, yeah, it gives the thief uh, for for if if that's the particular uh, you know uh, cr crime that was committed, it gives the it it offers rehabilitation. In, a, in an atmosphere that, that that person convicted of that crime, and by the way, never forgetting that every one of these things, these infractions that are shown to us in Mishpatim, they are adjudicated. These, these aren't just people willy-nilly saying, you stole from me, pay me back if you can't. They have to, they, there has to be a court, and the court uh, adjudicates it. And when this person, who if he's stolen money from someone and goes out in, in a, uh, a riot of revelry and spends all the money, he, and he's caught and convicted of that theft, he he uh, he can do one of two things: the court can can uh, have him pay it back plus damages, and if he can't, then he has to go into service to the person he stole from, or the person he stole from can actually take and sell him to someone else. The bottom line is is that God provides justice for everybody and that that person that stole, possibly they went awry because they didn't have the kind of family that taught them uh, how to be kind and how to, how to uh, be mindful of other people's property and, and, and to, you know, not to be given to ways of wantonness. So they're introduced to a household full of uh, a loving family. They're treated like one of the family and they're rehabilitated, something that we don't have 
in the, the penal system in our world today. And sadly, sadly, people who, who, who oppose Torah and oppose religious thought, they love to point to this and say, well, slavery's in the Bible. And, you know, uh, we can't help it if, if the wickedness of, of certain people takes uh, an idea and twist it for their own devices. That's what's called free will. And, but we, we have a world that, that, uh, in which a Torah exists that gives us directions on how to deal with criminal behavior in, in a most compassionate fashion. And of course, the, the, the amazing emphasis on our verses here is regarding the, the Evid Ivri who doesn't want to go free, doesn't want to leave his master. His, his, his period of, of um, services is over. And uh, in the end, since he doesn't want his freedom back. He wants to stay with, his, with this adoptive family. And he says, I love my master, my wife, my children. I shall not go free. And then the ceremony is that the master has to bring him to the court and bring him to the mezuzah, to the doorpost, mm-hmm. and bore a hole through his earlobe. And then he serves him, the verse says forever, but again, the, the oral tradition teaches us that it's only until the Jubilee year, and then he must, right. he must go free. And yeah. what is this, and this, the significance of this, of this uh, piercing of the ear? The, 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 I believe the significance, well, first of all, I, I, I love that, that it shows us a scenario whereby a, a servant would say, I, I don't want to leave. I love you people. This, this, this underscores the aspect that that a a person who went the wrong way is rehabilitated to the point that they don't see any any joy in life except living with these people that he worked for as a servant. That's one aspect, and I Ex- believe except that a- that would be missing the mark completely because the the idea of the of the piercing of the ear, the sages say, is that this is the ear that heard me say, Hashem says at Mount Sinai, that you shall have no other master but me. Right. So there's a, exactly. there's a, a problem here. Yeah, and the, the the problem is is that that uh, he has, as you as you point out, he he hasn't gotten the full lesson. Is that you are a you are a free man, and you've been taught how to live a life of uh, a Torah lifestyle. And isn't there a linkage also to the fact that this is a sort of um, a microcosm of of the relationship that that uh, Israel has with uh, Hashem? Because people talk about the uh, the yoke of the Torah is that they have at, at Sinai they agreed to be servants to Hashem as his, as his priesthood. They they are basically. I think they agreed so, that it's even a signal further back um, to the Garden of Eden yeah. when you think about it. And I think I think this is one of the reasons why our Torah portion, which really is the first portion now that begins specifics of again transposing Hashem's uh, ethereal laws of his will into, into this world, the first thing that, the first crime that was committed basically in a way was that, that Adam, Adam HaRishon, stole by taking from the, the tree without permission. Yes. So here, kind of everything is unfolding and refocusing on that, on that, um, 
You know, and the other the other parallel being is because of because of Adam's actions uh, that set up uh, a, a different dynamic, a different even physical aspect of the world that humanity had had to live in since the time of Adam. In, in essence, um, I don't know if I'm I'm you know taking this the wrong way, but it's it's almost as if after the giving of the Torah and Hashem says He brings it all down to earth. It says worship of 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 me basically has to be based in in the reality of the earth. It's almost like God is saying, "I've shown you, I've shown you Gan Eden. Now you have to leave Gan Eden, and you have to you have to live by the the the, the sweat of your brow. This is this is what this is how you are perfected be, because of what happened in 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 Gan Eden. Adam and he had had to leave. Well. Israel had to leave that moment of being exposed to Gan Eden and saying, now let's go to work because, because your responsibility as this holy nation is to show mankind how, to, how all of mankind can come back to the garden and experience And make this, the whole world, uh, make everyday experience it, uh, into a type of paradise is, re- is really yes. the goal of Torah. And again, it's, it's all just so convoluted today how justice is defined and measured uh how our obligations to each other are are viewed and and um this is a, a completely different worldview and and maybe it's it, it hinges it hinges on israel's response of we will do and we will obey but that's it's so that is so far from the conception today of how people want to live their lives well, I, I can see in the everyday news and headlines how people, especially in our society, have really uh, abandoned uh, the idea of of following um, the instructions. You know, the the, the governments in, in our in our country, Rabbi. For a long time, we had a government that was based on on Torah principles, uh, the, the 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 seven laws of Noah, which which. Uh, are very much about setting up courts of justice, and and um, you see the the response in in people today on both sides of of the political spectrum, both sides who are acting in emotional ways. They're 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 abandoning logic and reason, and they're saying uh, you've got you've got people out on the streets screaming at, at each other, and. What happened to what happened to come? Let us reason together. I don't even. I this is this seems to have gone out the window now. And I think really this is the, this is how this parsha uh, speaks to us again in the down to earth everyday um, actualizing of of these Torah principles. We we need to be reminded that God is saying that uh, uh, it, it's up to you to make this heavenly type of experience on earth. Otherwise, the, the whole reason for, for my creating uh, a physical realm goes null and void because you're not, you're not carrying out, uh, you know, people, people uh, often, uh, I, I remember as a youngster, I used to wonder, why didn't God just sort of make us all good automatically? Well, of course, the, the, the first and obvious response is, well, then you don't have any free will. And and the other point is, is that, again, by grounding 
the laws and the instructions of Torah in the earth. You, we don't, God is giving us a chance to work out and to grow as a soul, because if the soul is the reality of our existence, then what 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 mechanism is there to to form our souls? If if God says in Breshit in the beginning, "Let us make man in our image," how is that done? Well, right here is how it's done. It is. This is so old school, you know. It's because yeah. it's, it, these values. Because you, you said you talk about God said, "Let us make man in our image." Today, people are encouraged to question their own gender and and not to be held held back by it. You know, talk yeah. about talk about uh, believing in science. You know, there's there's that's that's strange. You know, when people talk about believing in science and they're encouraged not to believe who they are at all, and that is representative of of the whole state of affairs in the world altogether where everything is subjective and everything is about the heart, about personal convenience, about, about interpretation. And at the same time though, like we look at this past year and the, the unbelievable um, upheaval on so many levels, on so many levels, the obviously so much caused by the pandemic and the economic downturn but there's a spiritual upheaval that is directly um, caused by all of this. But there is also such a tremendous yearning for truth and for Hashem and for Torah. And I think you know that very well, Jim. And I, and I think that, you know, this is the whole purpose of Jerusalem Lights as well, is to, is to bridge this gap and to, and to broadcast Torah from Jerusalem. Baba, you know, I, I have to apologize. I think I at the beginning of the podcast, I probably uh, uh, may have uh, interrupted you. I, I know we were going to talk about, uh, before we get too far along, uh, the month of Adar that, that is beginning soon. I think and, that, that actually the month of Adar, which is beginning this week, um, Friday and Shabbat, is the, is the Rosh Chodesh, the new moon of the month of Adar. The truth is that, that the theme of this month fits in very tightly with everything that we're talking about today in, in terms of the Torah portion of Mishpatim. Because Adar, of course, which is um, powered by Purim, right? Purim is, mm -hmm. the, is the climax of Adar, the whole idea of the, the salvation of, of Israel that was rescued from the decree of Haman, as, as is recorded by the scroll of Esther. You know, the amazing thing about the book of Esther is that it's the only book of the whole Torah in which Hashem's name is not even mentioned, right, not even once. Exactly. Well, her name means that. Esther, Esther. Right. Esther does. It means, it means hiddenness. And the concept of, of um, the miracle of Purim is that it was a miracle that was, that was hidden in just what seemed to be random occurrences, what seemed to, you know, when you look at the scroll of Esther and, and you see these um, kind of just happenstance things that ha that were going on, you know, the plot against Achashverosh and the, and the taking of Esther as queen and Mordechai's role and Haman and everything, you know, came together, but Hashem's name is not mentioned in it. And this is actually a major theme of the month of Adar. We talked about this in our Zoom class last week in, uh, in great detail this past Sunday, the, co the concept of Hashem being concealed in this world, which is really reflected in the word Adar, 
uh, one, uh, one aspect of the word Adar is the concept of Adaret, which means like a, a robe or a cloak. Like Hashem wears this world as it were. He, wear, he wears this world as a robe. He manifests himself through everyday occurrences, through, through nature, through what seems to be um, just a mechanism of, of, of everyday living. But this is all on purpose, this concealment. And that's it's in a way it's kind of like what we're seeing in Parshat Mishpatim where we are translating Hashem's presence into our relationships, into every aspect of our lives, into into our everyday life. So too the the the, the real challenge of our life in this world is to find Hashem in the everyday, which is also connected to the concept of Adar being the most joyous month. The the, the idea of increasing in joy in this coming month of Adar not only because of this crescendo of the tremendous miraculous revelation of of Hashem's saving in Purim, but the whole that whole theme that that permeates the month of Adar is the the fact that the greatest joy is is actually the fact that we don't see Hashem in this world, and the greater the concealment, the more that we know that He is really behind everything and orchestrating everything. And that yeah. that really on on one foot is like the challenge of the whole human condition is to realize that Hashem is always with us no matter what. The, 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 when you are in the car and you've got to get somewhere and you've got to make one stop to your meeting and you've got to stop in and you've got to find a parking place and you can't find a parking place, that's God. Everything that comes, everything, the seemingly mundane it's Hashem. And, you know, people laugh when I talk about some of the things that happen to me when I go to Israel. And one of the things that I have to be careful about is I start complaining about traffic. And and it's amazing. I'll be in traffic in Yerushalayim, and I'm suddenly getting upset. And I, and I remember, you know what? I'm experiencing this frustration because God wants to teach me something. It's, it's you, we have to be that way. We have to, someone once explained, I, I thought it was amazing. You know, when we're, when, when life is, you, you know, go back two years ago when life seemed quote normal and we were, we were dealing with everyday matters. Things were pretty good. It's easy to forget about God in times like that when things are going right. You know, the joke about the, the, uh, the atheist that's looking for a parking spot. <laughs> God, he doesn't. I want to hear it. I he want doesn't to hear believe it. in God. He doesn't believe in God. He can't, he's circling yep. like uh, around and around the block. He can't find a, a parking spot. So finally, he prays and he says, "God, if you if you open up a parking spot space for me, then uh, I'm going to acknowledge that it was you." And then all of a sudden, he, he finds a parking space. So he says, "Never mind. I did it myself." <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm what I'm getting at is that uh, someone once said to me that. When things were, this was years ago, someone says to me, it was after I began to study Torah. In fact, I think it was a, a, a Jewish friend. Maybe it was even you. And things were, that particular week, were, were there were things going on that were unexplainable. And this person said to me, that's when you know Hashem is in charge. When, when you don't understand anything. Right. This is, and, this is the secret of this month of Adar. Yes, and I think that people, if if we can, you know, uh, you know, our hearts uh, go out to our families and to our friends and our listeners and each and every one of you, if we can help you 
this, if you're looking at the what we continually call the craziness of what's going on right now in every level of life, you as hard as it is to believe, and this is where your trust in God needs to come in, the only explanation is God. That, Imagine that is the, the Jews that were in Shushan in the story of Esther, and the and yeah. decree had been made against them, and, and the decree was that they were all going to be annihilated, and it was made a year in advance. And they're looking for Hashem's presence. They're crying out to Hashem, and they can't, he's nowhere to be found. His name is not mentioned in the scroll of Esther, which is an incredible secret. And the way I, I like to express it is that he he had them exactly where he wanted them because they were forced to call out to him. And it's the same thing with us. He has us exactly where he wants us. But this is a, a beautiful thing that our, our sages teach us, that the greater the concealment and the more a person feels up against the wall and isolated and, cry, and crying out to Hashem, the closer he is to Hashem. And right. the other thing that you're saying is that, and this is so important, is that nothing is random. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Not from not not from the greatest, most, you know, uh, 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 magnificent, uh, sprawling aspect of our lives to the to the smallest, minute detail. It's all from Hashem. It's all uh, connected, and it's all about us looking for Him. And it's amazing how the emphasis in this month is on this uh, joy that we're we're actually commanded that when the month of Adar enters. We are commanded to to be joyous and to and to be joyous all month, and we mustn't be distracted from by anything, by any illusion <laughs> that makes us lose the, this momentum of the of the joy of Adar. And so the question really is, what is it? What is it? What does it consist of? How do we get it? How do we keep it? How do we keep it all year round and make it part of our lives? And really, the bottom line of this incredibly liberating, expansive joy of this coming month of Adar is the understanding, the revelation, the knowledge that Hashem is constantly with us, no matter, it, the, and again, his name not being mentioned in this in the scroll of Esther is representative of this idea that I don't know where he is, I don't see him, I see a lot of randomness, I see a lot of, a lot of, um, just feel like I'm being buffeted about and I'm at the, I'm at the mercy of all sorts of forces in the universe, but it's not true. It's not true at all. Hashem hides as again the word adar one aspect of it is this idea of a, of a of a robe of a cloak that's concealing him he guides everything he guides also the forces of history also also governments jim also leaders he sets up a playing board he is he is concealed in everything but he is orchestrating everything and this is a a huge idea that is the basis of Everything in this world, really, the basis of what true joy is really all about is 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 understanding that there's so much more than meets the eye in you know i'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here because I can see how I can see how the effects of uh, of covid of uh, what's going on in the political realm for all of us uh, just no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. Is that we are we are God is sending us uh, these experiences so that we will grow because because people grow out of adversity, and and the um, so we're individually having an opportunity to grow through through these things and learn learn about ourselves. I've I've actually uh, here I am I'm you know I've, I've been married long enough that you think I would I would uh, understand and know my wife. We we catch ourselves laughing more than we used to, 
And I mean that in a good way. You know, we're it's it's driven us into an area where we're finding a hilarity in places we didn't know it existed before. But, you know, I'm really going to go out on a limb because I think with uh, with what's happening in our country, with the changes that are coming about, um, I think I think on a global level, I think it's a message to to the Jewish people. And I'm going to say it again. I'm going to be I'm going to step out there and say uh, uh, to my Jewish friends that still live in this country, I think it's time to make Aliyah because we have people coming into power who do not love the Jewish people and they don't love the nation of Israel. I'm sorry. That is the want to talk about reality. Um, so I, I think it's it's uh, it's time about to be praying about it. Um, and so I, anyway, I hope I haven't interrupted the flow of our show. But th- this is this is something that is deeply embedded in my heart is is uh, uh, that, you know, the the Israel needs you more than ever um, to to uh, to be this priesthood that was created uh, and we saw it created. You know, it's fascinating. It's the only nation I know of in history that was uh, formed and created by Hashem. Every other nation came about through the mandate of man and war and and uh, political strife. This is a nation. This is why the Jews are called God's firstborn, uh, which, by the way, is implicit by that statement of calling Israel the firstborn. It implies that we are all part of the same family. We're, we're all the children of God. So it's not, we're not, uh, it's only because of our role. You know, Jewish law says the firstborn has t- almost twice the responsibility. The The firstborn of a, of a Jewish family uh, is given a double portion. And the reason is not because the, the, the firstborn deserves it. It's because they will need it to carry on and help the family survive. And God has given uh, I'm Israel, the Jewish people, God has given you a double portion. And um, so that's why we look to you, our elder brothers and sisters, to to uh, to lead the way through through the world. And it's the responsibility and, and, of Israel to bring great responsibility to the world and to bring all the nations to the level of living for Hashem and bringing that light into the world. And it's a reciprocal relationship. And it's like facets of a, of a diamond that reflect to each other. This is the whole mm-hmm. purpose of Israel in the world. Amen. Yeah. But you know, Jim, this Shabbat is a special Shabbat. It also has a special name. It's the first of this, the four special Sabbaths that precede Passover. We're getting close to Passover already. Yeah. Shabbat is called the Sabbath of Shekalim. Shabbat Shekalim has a special Haftarah. It is called so the Shabbat of, of Shkalim, because we have a special Torah reading as well, a special additional Torah reading, which we would actually be getting to as well soon um, in the order of the way the Parshiot are. We'll be reading the first verses from Parshat Kitisa, which is begins with verse 11 in chapter 30, about the half-shekel census which is taken for the children of Israel the reason that this Shabbat is called the Shabbat of Shkalim and why this these these lines are read on this coming Shabbat is because in the time of the Holy Temple, the the an, a special proclamation was made 
in the beginning of the month of Adar, which is this Friday and Shabbat, for the entire nation to come forth with their half-shekel offering. And with the half-shekel offering that was used to actually count the children of Israel, that is what was used to purchase the communal offerings for the Holy Temple for throughout the year. But there's a, a very beautiful idea regarding the, this whole process of the census and the half shekel. Why is it only half a shekel? Why is each person supposed to bring only half? And make a long story short, the idea is that it's a message of unity, that each person is really only half without the other, and that we are all only half without Hashem. It's it's representative of our relationship with Hashem. It's also representative of our relationship with e with each other. And that's precisely what is so elusive and what is so missing from, not only from, from Israel, but from the whole world today, especially in the world that we're living in, which is, again, a world of subjective justice and subjective reality. And so it's a, a powerful idea of responsibility also and towards just society as we're talking about the whole concept of Parshat Mishpatim. The, I, I would like to uh, also whet everybody's appetite and with your permission, uh, when we get closer to Purim, uh, if you'll allow me, I'd like to share a little bit of historical uh, evidence for uh, the existence of, uh, of Queen Esther and also of the Purim experience. There is actual physical archaeological evidence that uh, supports the idea that there was a Purim. Uh, there's a date on a particular archaeological site that is the, that is the date of Purim. And uh, I want to share a little bit of that when we, when we do our, I, I know we'll talk about Purim, so I, I want to sort of, uh, as I said, whet everybody's appetite, so maybe they'll look forward to that. We shall certainly look forward to that. And in the meantime, let's wish our listeners uh, a wonderful, happy, joyous month of Adar, Chodesh Tov. May this month bring us good news, good health, and bring us one step closer to the ultimate redemption. <laughs>